0: Welcome to the Eury First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We've been spending the last several weeks looking at the book of Revelation, the end times, and the second coming of Christ. For the last two weeks, Pastor Nicole has been examining the letters written to the churches in Revelation to see what Jesus was warning them and also us. This morning we have a special guest author Samuel Whitfield is joining us and he's written the book, It Must Be Finished. And today he's going to dive into why it's so important that we look at these sections of the Bible and why too often the modern church doesn't examine the second coming of Christ and what it means for us today. So let's get started. Here's Samuel Whitfield.
1: My name is Samuel Whitfield. I'm from Kansas City and I am excited to be with you this morning, I love that passage of scripture we just read, and we're gonna we're gonna jump into that in just a minute. But I want to start by praying. Will you, will you pray with me that the Lord would just speak to us this morning? I, every time we gather together, I always long for something to be changed in me. That the, that the Lord would change something. That I would leave different than I came, and that I would leave loving Jesus more. And and so I just want to invite you to to. To to pray with me and say, Lord, would you speak to us this morning? Would you stir something in our hearts that when we leave, we would love your son a little bit more? That we'd see something we maybe haven't quite seen, or we haven't seen it in a while, or he would touch our hearts and refresh us and cause us to love his son. So Father, we, we thank you for this awesome opportunity we have this morning, that we get to gather together as your people. We say thank you for that. We thank you for the promise that you gather with us, that you're in our midst with us this morning. And we ask you, would you speak to us this morning? Lord, we ask you, what are the things that are in your heart, in your mind this morning? What are the things that you wanna say to us this morning? We ask you to say it. We wanna hear your voice. We ask you to stir our hearts that we would love your son more as a result of the time we spent together this morning. Stir us up. We would love him, we'd love him well, that our hearts would fully engage in your great plan and purpose to reward your son, to give him an inheritance in the nations, to give him everything that he deserves because of his great sacrifice. And so Father, we ask that you would do that this morning, by the power of your spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, this morning, I want to just speak for a few minutes about why we should give attention to the subject of Jesus' return. Now, some people give attention to that subject based on current events. You know, they see certain events happening You know, their hearts get stirred up. Oh, my goodness, maybe this is the end, so I need to understand something about it. But there's actually a number of other biblical reasons why we should give consistent attention to this subject. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It's much more than newspaper headlines or current events. It's actually a core and central part of the gospel. And the Lord actually wants to remove the stigma around this subject, because right, in, in, in some parts of the body, there's actually a little bit of stigma, typically because a few people have misapplied the subject. Maybe they, 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 they came to some wrong conclusions or, uh, or focused energy in areas that weren't the main point. And we, of course, we want to avoid the unbiblical responses or applications. But this is a subject that's very dear to the heart of the Lord. And so that's why we want to talk about it. Uh, th- th- this morning. I want to just jump in with this. I-, I-, I have a few agendas this morning. Don't you like it when people tell you their agenda? Like, well, what are you really after? Well, I'll tell you. I've got three of them, and we'll just do them in order, right? Here's my first agenda. I actually want us to love Jesus more when we're finished, right? The, the-, the passage we just read from com- comes from Revelation chapter 1, and if if you're familiar with that passage, do you remember what it says in the first verse? It says, this is the revelation of Jesus. And, And what's happened, unfortunately, is when we think about the return of Jesus, typically the things that come to our mind are the Antichrist, the Great Trouble, maybe certain other events, which, which are important things to understand. They're part of the biblical text. But according to the Lord, they're actually not the main theme. It starts with the end of the age is about the revelation. The, the word used there in the Greek is actually apocalypse. You know, if I, if I speak about the apocalypse, we tend to think, oh, the great trouble. But the word simply means unveiling. And in God's mind, it's first and foremost about the unveiling of my son in a way you've never seen him. Have you ever thought about the fact there are aspects of Jesus's majesty and glory that we've not yet seen? They're, they're, they're undiscovered yet because they haven't been fully manifest. You can, you can get glimpses of them in the scriptures, but you haven't, you haven't fully seen them yet. If it helps, you can think about it this way. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated his great suffering right? When he went, when he went to the cross. Now, before Jesus went to the cross in his first coming, we knew a lot about God, right? He'd, he'd given us the scriptures. He'd, he'd given us his history with the people of Israel so we could gain insight into who he was. But, but when it came to the moment of the cross, we suddenly saw God in a way he'd never been seen before. We went, oh my goodness, you're you're self-sacrificing, I, I never imagined that God would expose himself that way, that he would go so far. There were aspects of him that were hidden to us. They were, of course, mentioned in the scripture, but we hadn't seen them. And the second coming is very similar. They're aspects of Jesus's majesty, his commitment to bring justice, his commitment to to actually bring a full resolution, to bring an end to evil, to fully restore creation that we've not yet seen. So so John opens one of the most dramatic books of the Bible by saying, first and foremost, know this, it's about the unveiling of Jesus in ways we've not yet seen him. In fact, he tells us it's actually a gift from the Father to us. Have you ever thought about that? That the, the events of the end of the age are actually part of the Father's gift to Jesus. He's gonna set a stage for Jesus to finish his work in a way that makes him known in a way he's not known, and it comes to a glorious conclusion. So, first and foremost, we need to reset our ideas about the, it's not primarily about. Some of these other themes, they're important to understand, again, because they're in the Scripture, but it's primarily about the Father setting a stage for his Son to be made known and revealed in a way we've never seen him before. In fact, near near the end of the book of Revelation, John's given a very interesting instruction by an angel in, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. John's instructed, and he says this, he says, it's the revelation of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, all the prophetic scriptures, all the predictions that we find in scripture are actually not primarily about events. They're actually primarily about a person. God's, God's using these events to set a stage to make known a glorious person, the person of his son. Everything the prophet said, all the predictions ultimately exist to bear witness, to tell us about Jesus. And the father wants us to get caught up in that story. Uh, I think possibly there's a vast difference between being grateful for what Jesus has done and loving Jesus deeply. And let me explain what I mean. I think a lot of people are very grateful for what Jesus has done. Again, we we celebrated it just recently at Easter. The, The incredible thing he did, he suffered. He died for us. He poured out his spirit, which we're celebrating today, right, on his people. But it's one thing to be grateful for all the things Jesus has done. It's another thing to love him deeply because it's possible to be grateful for someone but actually not love them in the sense that we go, wait a minute, I'm not only grateful for what you did, I want to think about your future and your inheritance. It's possible to be grateful for someone and not actually miss them. Have you thought about that? That this morning we we stand here, but he's not here. He's here by the Spirit, but he's not on the earth in the way the Father promised he would be. We're not yet in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus among us, physically present in our midst. And I think the father wants to not only stir up gratitude, but he wants to stir up our affection that we'd say, wait a minute, it's not okay that he's not here. It's not okay that he's not yet received the fullness of his inheritance and the fullness of his reward. I mean, can I I always think at Easter, what's going through the mind of the father? If you thought about that, it's, it's, been, it's been now 2,000 years since his son ascended to him. Can, can you imagine that event when the, the son is ascending back to the father and now he's got scars on his body because of what he did? Can you imagine the affections in the heart of the father? You, you, you did it. You, you took the lowest place. You, you suffered in such an extreme way. The prophet tells us he was actually marred and disfigured more than any other human. Can you imagine what's in the heart of the father as he ascends? And after he ascends, he sits and takes his place. And he's been sitting there now for 2,000 years. Can you imagine what's in the heart of the father as he looks at his son who's been waiting 2,000 years to receive the fullness of his inheritance and his reward? This is why we give attention to this subject, right? We say, Father, what are you gonna do to give your son the fullness of of his reward? What is in your mind? to give to your son as a reward? What is the great plan that you're leading to bring all creation into the full restoration? And Jesus gave everything for us. And the, the father, I think, is speaking to us going, I want to give you a great invitation. Jesus poured out his life to secure your future. And I want to give you an invitation to play a part in his future. The Father, of course, is the one leading the nations, controls the timelines. That's not in our hands. But we get this divine invitation to consider what Jesus has done and then look at him and say, okay, if that's what he did for us, we want to fully engage in his story so that he might get his full inheritance, so that he might get his full reward, so that he might get Everything that the Father wants to give to him. So the the reason we need to give time and attention to this subject above every other reason is it is about Jesus receiving the fullness of his reward. And he's going to receive that reward in part through a people who cooperating with the Father, laboring with the Father, actually give him his reward and in their, in their wholehearted response. So we need to return the, the main theme of this subject back to what it's always meant to be, which is about Jesus and his reward and his inheritance and his story. If, if you love someone deeply, you care about their future, right? If you love someone deeply, you miss them. You go, it's not okay that you're not here. I can't bear the distance and the absence. And while we have the present experience of the Spirit, right, that that gift of the Spirit should be stirring us up, talking to us about Jesus, making us long to be with him, long for him to get his reward and his inheritance. So the number one reason that we study this subject is because, because we love Jesus. And my agenda, again, is that when we finished today, we love him a little bit more, that we have new conversations with the father, and we go, talk to me about your son. Not just what he did, talk to me about what's in your mind for his future. What are you thinking? How do I participate in that story in a wholehearted way? The second reason or the second agenda this morning The second reason that we give attention to this subject is because we love the Bible. And the truth is, there's a lot of information about this in the scripture. And we don't don't want to have big sections of scripture that are kind of off limits, where we go, I just don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to understand it. And I think we would all say there's a few verses that we're not quite sure how that might happen. We're not quite sure what that verse means. But the Father wants us to know the main themes that are related to Jesus' return. He gave us those passages for a reason. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to say, well, I, I just don't know what to do with the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, parts of Ezekiel. I don't, I don't know what to do with any of that. The Holy Spirit wants to help us And because we love the Bible, we should actually give careful attention to sections of Scripture, trusting that the Lord's going to help us understand the main themes. We don't want to just block those those sections and those passages off. And when you get into those passages, you you find some very interesting things. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what actually brought me into this subject. The reason I've given careful attention to it is because I read some of these sections of scripture and I read God's description of what he's going to do. And if you read some of these passages, God makes huge statements about his zeal for judgment, about his commitment to a full salvation. And, and I read some of these passages and I went, that does not sound like the Jesus that's on the wall in Sunday school the one that I call California Jesus, right? He's got a nice perm. He's got blue eyes, very chill, right? Usually surrounded by children, which he does love. But he's just kind of like a chill philosopher, right? And then, and then I read these passages and I go, God's got profound emotions, To to be honest, I read a few passages and I go, he almost sounds emotionally unstable. If he was a human, because, oh my goodness, you have incredible zeal to bring judgment against evil. You have incredible commitment to bring great salvation. And I read these passages and I go, I don't think I know that God Again, it's, it's not that what we know is wrong. It's just that there are vast dimensions of his person and personality that we haven't discovered. And, you know, when you, when you get into the Bible, isn't it interesting that it's mostly stories? I don't know if you ever noticed that. It's not mostly like a theology textbook, right? Let me give you an outline. Here's the main points. The, the Bible is mostly stories, if you think about it. And his story is because God mostly reveals himself by what he does. right? He, For example, God could just give us a, a little theological message on I'm merciful. Here's what mercy means. Let me define the term for you. Here's the four aspects of mercy. Here's how you break it down. But what's interesting to me is he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you my story with David who made some massive mistakes, some of you would, some of us, would probably say, I don't think we should invite him back to church. There's some issues there. Definitely don't want to make him one of the elders. Um, And yet the Lord goes, let me tell you about my story with him. And you read that story and you go, okay, you are profoundly merciful because you're showing mercy to people I wouldn't have shown mercy to. I think about Jacob, a man who essentially uh, collaborates with his mother to deceive his blind father. I would have said, you're done. You're out. I wouldn't have said, okay, we're going to work with you. I think of Moses, who's a failure at 40, basically. I wouldn't have said, it's okay, we'll take four more decades. I would have said, who, who else is in line? Is there anyone else? Right? So, so he tells us these stories, so we go, oh, now I know who you are. And when you read the scripture, you find that God has told us what he has done so we'll know who he is. He tells us what he is doing through the work of the Spirit in the church. And then he also tells us, here's what I'm going to do so that you'll know who I am. So these passages of scripture are not just about predicting events. You can find some information about that. These passages are intended to bring you into, this is who I am. I've got emotions that go far beyond any human emotion. In fact, God's actually the most emotional person in the cosmos. And Actually, his emotions drive everything he does, which to us is like a shocking statement because our emotions are not necessarily reliable, but his are. He feels very deeply. We can sometimes look around and go, God, Will the world always be unjust? No, no, I've given you passages to tell you there's a day coming. I'm going to bring an absolute end to all the injustice. So he's giving these passages so we can go through them and we can discover who he is. In fact, I'll say this. If if we go through the passages and we don't really discover more about who God is, I think we've actually missed a point right? It's not primarily the study of events. It's actually the study of a person that is revealed in what he will do, right? And it's not only the knowledge of God that is at stake, it's actually the knowledge of the gospel. You know, sometimes we think of the gospel mostly in terms of what God has done. And that's a powerful part of the gospel. But it's it's actually an incomplete gospel. Now, it's, it's not a wrong gospel. Please don't, don't misinterpret that. And it's, it has great power to save. Any part of the gospel can bring great salvation. But when, but when you study the Bible carefully, you discover something. That the story of Jesus' first coming without his second coming is actually an incomplete gospel. When you carefully study the way the Apostles taught the gospel and proclaimed the gospel, you find that their their gospel is incredibly forward-looking. They actually speak about the coming of Jesus when they call people to repentance and salvation. They constantly reference the appearing of Jesus when they give instructions about holiness and discipleship. You know, the, the, the reasons we should live careful, obedient lives is because he's actually coming and the more we meditate and reflect on that, it actually affects the, the, the way we live. So we have to understand it's actually a powerful part of the gospel. The gospel is not only what Jesus has done and what he is doing right now through the work of the Spirit, it's actually what he will do. This, this may sound heretical, so don't post on Facebook just yet. Give me a minute. Right? Right? But the first coming of Jesus actually did not fulfill all the promises of God. It secured all the promises of God. Right? We've not yet seen a completely new earth. We've not yet seen the complete end of evil. Right? There are massive promises in the scripture that the Lord has made to us that are fulfilled when Jesus returns and finishes his work. So the first coming is just part of it. It sets the stage. It secures everything. It's, it's an unprecedented revelation of who God is, but it's actually not the fulfillment of all his promises. And we're meant to meditate on those promises to fill our lives with hope and anticipation at what God's going to do in the future Through his son. In fact, if you start meditating on the scripture, you'll find that there's 89 chapters in the Gospels that describe the first coming of Jesus. And you can find over 150 chapters that give you insight into what happens when he returns and he fulfills everything he's spoken about. Peter preached this way in Acts chapter 3 when he said, Jesus has been received up into heaven until the time for the fulfillment of everything the prophets have spoken, right? The the apostle Paul said it this way when he wrote to the Ephesians. He said, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a profound gift and a profound deposit. And he said, but it's a deposit, a guarantee you're going to get everything God has promised you that comes at the return of Jesus and at the restoration of, of creation. So, We we want to give deep attention to this subject because we love the Bible. And the, the third reason we want to give attention to this subject is because as we study the return of Jesus, it actually provokes us to be engaged in God's great redemptive plan. It's not just information. In fact, if you study the end of the age, and it doesn't produce missional energy, I think you've missed a point. Like you should study the end of the age and go, okay, the age ends with all the nations loving Jesus. Then what should we do? We wanna engage in God's great plan to bring all the nations into his family, right? He'll control when that happens and precisely how, but he gives us the invitation, this is what I want. This is what I'm committed to. Right? We, we study those dynamics so that we can fully engage. And go, oh, he wants to offer mercy. Okay, there's going to be troubling dynamics. Okay, we want to prepare our heart for those dynamics. I, if this helps you, I like to think about it this way. The the Bible uses a lot of uh, analogies to marriage and, and to weddings when it describes God's relationship with his people. You know, you may have heard this. For example, the people of God are described as the Bride of Jesus as an analogy. The, the book of Revelation ends in Revelation 19 with describing the return of Jesus as the great marriage supper of the Lamb because his bride, his companion, his people, right, have, have become ready. They're ready for him. So it's an analogy. You find it. You find it in the writings of Paul. I'm, I'm preparing you betr- as, a, as a people betrothed to Jesus to be married or to be joined to him as as his companion. So the Bible uses the wedding analogy, the marriage analogy, to help us grasp our relationship with God. So I like to think about it this way. When you think about a wedding, I want you to think about two different people. Think about a woman who's been married 25 years, and think about a woman who's engaged to be married. Right? Now, if you ask a woman who's been married 25 years about her wedding— She'll say, oh, OK, and maybe pull out a, a picture book or a photo book. Well, I guess now you pull out your phone, right? And, and you could kind of flip through some photos. You could ask questions. You could tell stories She'll recount that day for you. But it's not something she talks about every day, right? It's, it's something in the past. It was something transformative, meaning it changed the direction of her life. But it's an event in the past that shaped the present. But it's a memory from the past. Now, think about a woman who's engaged to be married. What happens if you ask her about a wedding? And the answer to that is you don't need to ask her about a wedding. You just need to ask her any question. How is school going? I'm trying to find a venue. Right? How is work going? What color should the bridesmaids wear? This is a perplexing question. I'm going to have these photos forever. I don't want it to look dated, but I want it to look timeless. All of these things, right? Right, because because for her, a wedding is an event in the future that she's anticipating. And she does everything she needs to do. She goes to work, goes to school, whatever phase of life she might be in. But this event is shaping her energy and her affection. She's making decisions on it. She's orienting everything towards that great event. Right? And what this illustrates is actually we've come to read the gospel a little bit as a woman who's been married 25 years telling the story of the wedding. In other words, I remember the day Jesus saved me. That's powerful. That's important. But we've read the story that way. But if you read the New Testament carefully, it's actually the other story. Meaning the cross is actually not the wedding, it's the engagement. I've come and I've given you the most expensive gift I could give you, which is really the gift of the Holy Spirit, secured at the cost of God's own life, which is what we're celebrating today, that that gift. So he's given us the gift of the Spirit at great cost. It's the unbreakable engagement. I'm going to do everything I said I would do for you. And we're meant to be a people eagerly longing for that wedding, and, and we begin to reorient our lives and our attention going, no, no, no. I wanna see the bridegroom get his great reward. I see my ultimate future, not in my success here, I wanna do my assignment well, but my ultimate future is in my being joined to him. At the great climax of the age, when he gets everything that the father promised him, and we get to share that inheritance with him, and and just as a a wife joins her husband's story and they become part of his story, we we wanna jump in and join his story and become part of his, his, his great reward. That's actually the gospel message. That's actually what the, the, the scriptures tell us. And that's actually the third reason we want to give attention to this subject. We have this great invitation to labor with the Father for the sake of Jesus because we're like a woman engaged. We've been given the most expensive gift. That gift is the gift we're celebrating today, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the unshakable promise from God that if I can bring your dead spirit to life, if I can empower you and transform you, I can do everything else I promised. I can give you a new body. I can give you a renewed heaven and a new earth, and I'm going to do it when I bring my son back and he finishes everything that I promised he would do. So I wanna invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna, we're, 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 we'll finish here this morning. But I just wanna say this as, as we finish. The, the subject of the return of Jesus, again, is, has been often made many things, but I just wanna say this. There's a revelation of who Jesus is that is deeply connected to his return. If we don't give time and attention to this subject, there are aspects of who he is that we just don't know. Again, what we know is true, what we know is right, it's valuable, it's powerful, but it's actually incomplete. And as we come into that knowledge, we discover who he is in new dimensions. And if we study that correctly, it actually transforms the way we live. It has a great effect on the way we live our daily lives and the way we engage in his great purposes. It stirs up hope, anticipation and affection as we think about him. And so as we finish tonight, I just want to invite you to stand with me and we just want to ask the Lord, Lord, would you help us? Would you just give us a little insight into what you think about your son and his future? Jesus actually promised in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would do this. The the great gift of the Spirit would give us insight into revelation about who he is and the things that belong to him. He said in John 16, he'll tell you about the things that are to come. So Father, we just stand before you this morning as your people and we, we say first, we're so grateful for what you did. At the cost of your own life, you purchased redemption for us and then you gave us the profound gift of your own spirit. We say thank you for that gift. Thank you for that gift. We treasure it. We value it, it's the most expensive engagement gift ever given. And we just ask you, would you talk to us about what you think and feel about your son and his return? Would you reorient our hearts to align with your thoughts and your emotions about him? Would you give us insight into passages and sections of scripture that may have been difficult in the past? Help us grasp the main themes. Cause us to begin to get a greater glimpse at your son, who he is and what he's gonna do, so that our lives might be lived with intentionality and purpose and direction, that we get caught up in that great story you have to finish your plan of redemption. So Father, we present ourselves to you this morning. We ask for that work of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. Speak to us about your son. Stir up our affections. Cause us to love him more. In Jesus' name.
0: listening to the Erie First podcast. We'd love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.